This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Well, we are in part three of the series Process and Experience. And today we're going to look at the process part again as we talk about people of experience. Excuse me, people of process. We're both of those, but today we're going to focus on being people of process. And here's the thought behind the sermon series. I'll give you a summary statement. It's there in your notes, but we can read it also on the screen. Summary statement is this. We are a people of process open to God experiences. This statement is the third week in a row I've shared this statement that helps give us purpose towards these messages, that God wants us to be both. He wants us to be strong in our systems, strong in our processes, but also open to the experiences that he has for us. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter six. If you picked up one of the Bibles that uh, we provide for you, and you're always welcome to take those home and keep them, Uh, they're our gift to you. But if you're going to that particular Bible, it's page 100, which is an easy page to get to. But why don't all of us who are able to, let's stand to honor the scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 4. Now, Deuteronomy is not a book we go to often, so I hear pages rustling, which is a beautiful sound to a pastor. It means you're getting there. I see phones out. Many of you are taking advantage of the electronic phones. But now we're in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting with verse 4. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your hearts. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. God, we come before you and we thank you that the scripture has been given to us to make us strong, to reveal who you are. And on this particular Sunday, God, we look at your call for us to be people of process because we know this, that if we don't have the right processes in our life, the right systems, then we won't be able to handle you experientially. God, give us the discipline so we don't pollute your gifting. God, give us, God, the consistency so that when your presence visits us in ways that are not typical, that we would be that mature, strong people who would be able to process that and be able to integrate that into our life in an appropriate, good way. So thank you for the scripture. Thank you to this wonderful people that you've you've gathered people here today because you wanna impact them with your scripture. And so we praise you for that and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And if you agree, would you say amen? Amen. Give someone a high five on your way down. Some of you are already on your way down. So that's, I just asked you to do something that took a lot of coordination. Sit and give a high five. Wow. When I was in college, one of my good friends, his name was Chip Ufford. And Chip Ufford would do something. He did this like a couple of dozen times. I never really caught on. We'd be walking across campus. I went to 
Mid-American Nazarene University. And I know no one's been there, but it's a beautiful campus. It looks just like you would imagine a small university. So there's a little courtyard in the middle of the campus and all the buildings surround it. So you can kind of yell across the campus and get people's attention. So we would be, you know, walking from our dorm to the cafeteria or whatever pathway it was. And Chip would just indiscriminately yell, hey! So when he would do that, I would look up to see who he was yelling at. And it just happened to always be a group of three to five girls. And as I looked up to see who he was yelling at, he looked away like he wasn't yelling. The girls looked over towards the noise and saw me going. I looked like the biggest dork in the world. Not that I am not. I looked like I had yelled across campus at a group of girls and then I didn't know what to do. What's bad is I thought that happened three times, four times. It happened about 20 times. And uh, I, still, I told that story at my toast at his wedding and it was really funny then. Thanks for your courtesy laugh this morning. Earlier this week, I was at a celebratory dinner. We were in a room full of of people at a restaurant, and my brother-in-law, Beth's brother, he's just a great dad. This guy's an awesome dad. I really respect the way he uh, he leads his little children. They're like five and three. He's a, he's my age, and so he he's a good dad. But these kids are doing what kids do when they're stuck in a restaurant. They're running around and chasing each other and having fun with some other friends. And all of us are in these conversations. There's you know probably six or seven conversations happening and. On the other side of the room, Richie just says this. He goes, hey, to his kids. And man, he said it was such authority. It's like every conversation stops. You know, the kids looked. It was just something about saying, hey, the whole world stopped in that little room right there. Here in Deuteronomy, the the writer, most people think it's Moses. We don't know it for sure is giving God's word. He's reminding God's people of the law before they enter the promised land. So the law came in Exodus and Leviticus and then Deuteronomy is like a reminder of the law before they go into the promised land. So it's like rapid fire, rapid fire. Remember this, remember this, remember that, remember this. All of these things to prepare God's people. And then verse four, it's kind of like God says, hey, listen up. And it gets everyone's attention because verse four has some very, very strong words. And the words are this, listen, listen, Israel. Listen to what I'm going to say. Here's the first thing that I want you to understand what, what God is trying to say through the scripture. And somehow through the magic of, the magic of my beautiful iPad, I've deleted the first point. Some, some, show, me, show me this first point, come here. Who's got a review? This first, fill in the blanks. Understand a Christian worldview. Understand a Christian worldview. Look at verse four again of, of Deuteronomy 6, verse four. Listen, Israel. Hey, God's saying, hey, listen. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Guys, this is maybe the most important scripture in the history of Judaism and Christianity. The Jewish people actually, the Orthodox Jews, and certainly the ones in this time, greet one another with this saying. 
The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The, the phrase listen is a phrase called Shema, meaning this has great importance. Command, 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 command. Verse four. Now, Shema, listen, Israel. I'm about to tell you something that everything is wrapped up in this. The Lord, our God, is one. The reason this is so important is, like every other great religion, with the exception of Islam, even though Islam is a false religion, make no doubt, but every other religion believes in multiple gods. Every other culture believes in polytheism, which means there's all types of different gods with different personalities. And so if one God is deficient in one personality, then another God will make up in another area. This is true in Greek mythology. It's true in Hinduism. It's true in all of these different um, ancient religions or primitive religions. And so You know, if you need more sun, pray to the God of the sun. If you need more rain, pray to the God of the rain. But they're all disconnected. You understand? But this this is the essence of our faith. This is the essence. This is the covenant God's making. This is the revelation God is making with his chosen people. Now we're part of that chosen people. God is one. God is one. There's no division in him. And because God is one, because God is one, that creates some new demands on us. And that's why we have this thing called a worldview. Have you, any of you guys, I, I'm kind of curious, how many of you use Instagram? Just slip your hand up real quick. All right, how many have no idea what Instagram is? And I'm not gonna embarrass you, I just wanna know. Instagram is a app you can use on most phones that takes your picture and you're, you're able to instantly post a picture with a message. So it's just, a, it's like a, um, instead of Facebook or Twitter, which are a lot of words, it's just picture after picture after picture. What's cool about Instagram is you upload the picture and it has a dozen and maybe sometimes more if you pay for it, filters. So you can take a picture uh, and you can take that picture and you can shade it a different color. You can make it black and white, which sometimes you wanna do that. You can make it a bluish color. You can give it more definition, less definition. You can make it fuzzy around the edges. Here's the deal. It's the same picture, right? It's the same object, Uh, But if 20 of us had the same picture and uploaded it on Instagram, we could choose a dozen or so different filters. And even though it would be the same picture, we would see it with different colors. We would see it with different uh, viewpoints. This is an analogy, and every analogy is incomplete, but it's an analogy of what is a worldview. A worldview is the filter by which we see our reality. We see things differently through the worldview that we have. Guys, listen, this is God's people. God's people cannot simply view the world the way everyone else in the world views it. We have to have the appropriate filter by which we view the world. And that filter is his scripture. That filter is his revelation. And Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 was so important because he said there, God said very plainly, love the Lord your God with all your heart. The Lord our God is one. Verse five, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, we don't need to really make a big differentiation. What's the heart and what's the soul? 
was a writer trying to come with two different things. I, I don't believe so. I believe it's a way to emphasize the inner life, who we really are, our hearts. Love God with the essence of who you are. Don't love God just with your actions. Even though it is important to love God with your actions. Love God with both your actions and your intentions. Love God from the heart. Let's not just love God um, simply because we're trying to get into heaven. And we get into heaven through Jesus anyway. We don't get to heaven through works. Let's not just love God because we're trying to respond to social pressure. Man, let's love God from the essence of who we are with all our heart and soul within us. And then it says this, with all our strength. Our other translations say, with all our might. Guys, this is what the essence of who God is. If you understand who God is, it demands our, our, our fierce loyalty. I mean, God demands our fierce loyalty to him. God demands our complete attention. And that is the worldview that we need. And what concerns me, guys, is that uh, we're living in a, in a time when many of us as Americans who claim Christianity, we, we're going through the actions of Christi Christianity, but we are not living with a Christian worldview. We're not a le letting scripture affect the way we process information. And so we let culture determine what we think about different aspects. We don't let God's word and God's ways define who we are. This is so important, guys. Do you know that you can be deceived right in the middle of the church? I wanna tell you, some of you are really faithful at church attendance, and I think that's great, and I wanna tell you to keep doing that. But it's not enough just to attend church on Sunday and not integrate the ways of God in your thinking the rest of the week. I mean, if you're, if you're just putting in your time, but you're not translating that time to how you live every day, it's simply deficient and it's not enough. We need to be people that have a Christian worldview. And since God began his covenant with his people, he's told his people, I want you to think differently. I want you to think about life differently. We are people that we value life. We value life from conception. We value life when people are aged. That's why we don't support euthanasia. We value even life when people are on death row. That's why we're not quick to go to capital punishment for useful ways. Being pro-life is about the child in the womb. It's about the person in the prison. It's about the senior citizen at the, at the retirement center. Being pro-life is not about people we like or people we agree about. Being pro-life is mean that we love all people regardless, regardless of their religion, regardless of what we say is their sin or even the Bible says is their sin. We love all people because we are pro-life people. That is a Christian worldview. So sometimes that we, we are so concerned about life in the womb, which you, I hope you know that I am concerned about that, but we give no thought to life after conception. We give no thought to the orphans. We give no thought to the uneducated. We give no thought to those who are in cycles of poverty. We give no thought to people who, who are uh, destined to, without God, to, to a life that has prison and poverty and a lack of education and the things that they, they need in this life to know the Lord. And so that's what a Christian worldview is. Thinking through the Bible, thinking through the ways of God, 
thinking through the systems that God has put in. And so this is why, here's the second thing, is that we establish, here's your second two blanks, healthy traditions. Now Jesus spoke against unhealthy traditions because the religious leaders of Jesus's day, um, they had a bunch of traditions that did not help people. They had traditions that did not benefit people in the least. They, had tradition, they were more concerns, concerned about their tradition than they were people. They, they were more concerned about their rules than how their rules affected others. And so they had very unhealthy traditions. We, on the other hand, we need to establish healthy traditions. And I want you to take account of what are the traditions in your life that are good and what are the ones that need to change. Because how many know that there are some traditions that we need to eradicate because they're bad? Racism is a terrible tradition. And I know that in the South, many of us have picked up bad habits and bad language from our parents and grandparents, and we need to stop that because that is not the heart of God. We need to change our habits in that. But there are some traditions that we don't need to abandon. And I wanna tell you this, church attendance is a tradition we don't need to abandon. Whatever level of church attendance you have, the next generation will be less committed to that. And that's one of the problems. That's why America is diminishing in church participation. Since 1990, the statistics are staggering. And, and, and we're, we're very much blinded to that because we've gotten better at reaching Christians. So we, we've got bigger churches than ever, but we have far less percentage of the population attending church anymore. And I just wanna call you guys to be people who are committed to the body of Christ. That's a tradition that is a good thing. I want to call you to let Christ be the center of your holidays. Listen, I love all the things that come with Easter, all the things that come with Christmas, all of the cultural traditions, but, but Memorial Day, we just, we just finished that. I know that's not a religious holiday, but especially Easter and Christmas. Guys, we should do all the cultural things, but if we forget the house of God at Easter and Christmas, I mean, what are we doing, guys? What, what kind of tradition are we passing on to people? When, when, the way, when the things of God, when the home, when the home no longer includes prayer at any level, this is an area that I struggle with. So don't, don't let me think that I'm like this guy who runs like these incredible family devotions, I, but I integrate God in my home as much as possible. And I, I wanna improve in that even as I speak to you. And so here it is. I just wanna challenge you. What godly traditions do you have for your family? And if you've already raised kids, don't think that you're off the hook because you can influence grandkids, nieces, nephews, friends. But guys, we need to find healthy traditions that pass on the faith to the next generation. That's well, that's why one of the, the great statements Paul was teaching about communion, and he said this, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Guys, what good is our faith if we don't pass it down to the next generation? What good is our faith to the next generation if we're not establishing traditions that cause people, the next generation, to follow the Lord? One of the most fascinating historical figures 
of the 20th century is Diedrich Bonhoeffer, a theologian, a complicated one at that. He was part of the Nazi resistance in Germany, and he died at age 39, assassinated by the Nazi regime in 1945, just when the Allied army were just miles, he could hear them just miles from where he was imprisoned. And he gave a great statement. I love this statement in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. The righteous man is the one who lives for the next generation. Guys, some of the traditions we have, you may be tired of, or they may have lost effectiveness in your life, and, and you may just think, oh, why am I even doing this? Maybe some of the traditions we do are not for you, but it's for the next generation. And even if you don't have children in your life directly, you're part of a faith community, and your very presence at, at things of faith, and your very presence when the church gathers passes on that tradition to someone else. Guys, we need to be people of healthy tradition. We're not traditionalists who care about tradition more than we do people. That's a pharisaical attitude. That's the Pharisees. But when we're people of tradition, this is what happens. And here's your next, next blanks, is then we develop and apply life-giving habits. We apply life-giving habits. Look at Deuteronomy chapter six, starting with verse seven. It says this, repeat them to your children. This is the traditions that we have. Repeat them to your children. I'm gonna say it again. Repeat them to your children. The job of Christian education resides in the home, primarily. The job of Christian education starts in the home, and we as a church supplement that. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The Jewish faith, the Orthodox Jewish faith, they take this so seriously that they'll write certain scriptures and put them on a piece of paper and put them on the doorpost of each room. Now, I'm not suggesting that. I've never done that, and I'm not planning to do that. What I'm saying is this. I believe the greater meaning to the scripture is this. Integrate God in all of your life. I mean, go back to verse seven again. Look at the power of these words in verse seven. Repeat them. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk, when you lie down, when you get up. That means let God be a part of every part of your life. Guys, we need to develop habits that pass down the faith. We, we need to be people of good habits. And how many know that habits are not always exciting? Habits are not always exhilarating. Sometimes habits are just very, very daily. It sometimes feels like drudgery. But good habits over a long time creates the traditions that we need and it creates the type of people God wants us to be. Galatians 5.16 says it good. We can read this over and over and over again. Galatians 5.16 says this. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. One step in front of the other with the Holy Spirit. Keep making good decisions. Keep sowing good seed. Keep doing the right thing over and over and over again. This is the basis of our faith. 
The basis of our faith is healthy tradition. The basis of our faith are good habits. And if you're a person that are just living from experience to experience to experience, you're gonna be a weak Christian, always vulnerable to Satan and his attacks. You're gonna be one of those that bounce from church to church, that you go from convention center to convention center, that you're flipping through the Christian television stations, you're trying to find the next hot thing, the next exciting person, and going here, there, and everywhere. And if you don't have process in your life, you don't have faithfulness in your life, you don't have consistency in your life, then you're going from experience to experience to experience. Instead, no, we're people of habit, we're people of of healthy tradition. Daily, consistent, devotional life, Guys, that's the core of who we are. Getting to know God. Bible reading on a regular basis. I've been reading the Bible since I was 14 years old. Sometimes I've gone weeks without reading the Bible. Some years I've read it every day. I I realistically believe that if we could read the Bible four to five times a week, that would be a great thing. Seriously, out of seven days, you could read the Bible four out of seven days, it would change this church. If you can read it seven out of seven, way to go. Go for it, go for it. I'm on a pretty good streak right now, but there's been times, even as, my, as your pastor, there's just days that whatever, I don't, it, it's, it's about God learning who he is on a consistent basis. Praying. Guys, can you, do you understand how Satan's trying to keep us from growing? He's trying to lull us asleep in the church, asleep in the light. He's trying to get us so complacent and comfortable that we're not people of good habits. And I'm just telling you, this summer is a time for you to strengthen your habits. Let's not wait until Christmas is over and hear the same old sermons about New Year's resolutions. It's May 31st. It's a great day to get disciplined in the Lord. It's a great day to make habits right now. You know, God, he is not contained by the lunar calendar like we are. God is a God of mercies that are new every morning, every morning. And so if you haven't been using a Bible reading plan in recent weeks, let's start today. Tomorrow's June 1st. It's a great day to start, isn't it? Make a prayer list. You know, prayer is not really complicated. I figured this out a long time ago when I got my phone over there and I just started writing down prayer requests, typing them in my phone. I don't have enough time in the day to pray now. You say, what should I pray about? I don't know. Start writing down the stuff you gotta pray about and you'll, you'll have plenty to pray about all day long. Just talk to God. We're people of habit. We're people of, uh, we're people of experience too, but we, we have process and systems and habits to make us who God wants us to be. And this is what happens, here's the last thing, is then we become people of character. Let me tell you something. God's people ought to have a name and a reputation and a characteristic. God's people to the world, we've been, we've been those who have exploited our culture for financial gain. We really have. We've been selling Jesus junk, Jesus on the radio, Jesus on the television, Jesus product. They used to have something called testaments. It's like literally Jesus uh, breath mints. And I'm all for good breath, you know, but I don't have to have a scripture. Asserts is fine with me, you know. Um, we, we've, we've marketed Jesus in, until Jesus is nauseating to the world. God's people have been rightfully accused of being hypocritical because we've had an unloving, harsh view 
we've used politics to badger people. And the church, the church has aligned with political parties instead of aligning with the word of God. And, and, and have not had objective truth to see that God's truth does not fall along party lines. God's truth does not fall uh, on the ideal, ideas that divide men. God's truth is eternal. And we have to have that Christian filter to see God's truth through his revelation. Our God is one. And we need to be people who loves the Lord our God with all our hearts, soul, strength, and with all our might. It's as simple as that. Earlier in the sermon, I forgot to reinforce something. Jesus is the one who established this. Going back under, I think it's point number one, is Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Sorry to get you out of sequence. Jesus said this, this is the greatest and most important command. Are y'all, y'all with me? And then he goes on and quotes Deuteronomy chapter six. Does it say anything after that? Well, it says this. Says the teacher, they said, which is the law? Okay, let's go to 36. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, quote, this is Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then verse 30, 38 now. This is the greatest and most important command. Guys, the character God wants us to have is people who deeply love him Deeply love him from our hearts and from our soul and from our might. No longer compromising Christians. No longer Christians with an agenda. A lot of things that we think are Christian agendas are just men's agenda. And we have an agenda without the love of God. But we have to love God for who he is. And love God for what he said he is. And and who he's revealed himself to be. Here's the last scripture I want to share is this, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. It says this, I, I want you to know if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you're not ordinary. You're not just another American. If you're a Christian, you're not just a simple person. Jesus says this, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I love this phrase. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. I want to tell you something. The church at Indian Lake, those of you who attend here, I know some of you are visiting from other churches. Some of you may not even be Christians this morning. But for those of you who are believers, you're either part of this church or you're visiting from another church, you're God's people. I want you to know that. You don't belong to a pastor You you don't belong to an earthly authority. You belong to God. You're God's people. And God's a jealous God. And God wants your heart. God wants your soul. And God wants all of you. Not because he is a mean God, an over-demanding God. It's because God loves you so much. He wants to take all of you and make you all of his. Believers of God, I'm not here to make you question your salvation because Jesus has settled that on the cross. But I do want to question, I I want to call in question your devotion to God. 
Because I know this is the heart wonders and the heart strays and the heart gets away from God. And so we need to go back to what Jesus said was the greatest commandment. Jesus said, this is the greatest commandment. You just saw that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, might. Everything you have, everything you have. If you're not loving God with everything, then it's just not quite enough. Again, it's not a salvation issue. This is Jesus calling you to be the person that you're supposed to be. He is number one in your life. He is it. He is everything. There's nothing that compares to him. I want you to stand with me. Here, oh, church at Indian Lake. Here, oh, Hendersonville. Here, Gallatin. The Lord our God is one. There's only one God. He's not to be compared to because he's incomparable. There's only one God. He's not to be compared to because he's matchless. There's only one God and he has revealed himself. And listen, this is the filter. I want you to put this filter over the way you view the world. That there is only one God and he's chosen to reveal himself to you and he's given you the ability to choose him and you've responded to him and that is worthy of your heart, soul, and mind. That's worthy of everything. That's worthy of everything you have for God. Everything. And that means something different to each of you. Listen, the Holy Spirit is your teacher. I have the privilege of teaching you at a measure this morning, but the Holy Spirit is your teacher and he's gonna teach you how to apply Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 to your life. He's going to teach you that's been reinforced by Jesus in Matthew 22. And so he is your teacher. And I want to challenge you to take account of your life. Take account of the areas that you're just partially serving God. Take account of the areas that God is just a small part of who you are and make him Lord and King. Before I close today, I want... If you're, I want you to close your eyes because I just want to make sure every person in here knows the Lord. It's come to my mind that it, it's possible in a congregation this size this morning that someone here just may not have received the salvation God has paid for you. And that changes right now. Changes right now. Thank you for listening to the podcast of The Church of Indian Lake.